reading is Psalm 46, part of which we've um, already prayed this evening, but which bears rereading. It's on page 570 of the Pew Bibles. It's page 570. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolation he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And the second reading is 2 Timothy 2 on page 1195. Page 1195. 2 Timothy 2, reading from verse 3 to verse 19. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and... Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Now, before Margaret speaks to us on that passage, um, I thought it'd be nice just to ask her a few questions, partly because there are a number of new people here who don't know Margaret very well, uh, but also um, this is a, um, 
a big and sad moment for us as uh, we prepare to say farewell to, to Margaret. Um, Margaret, t- tell us how long have you been part of the St. Michael's family? I've been, uh, oh, sorry, uh, 15 and a half years I've been here, yes. And what was it that originally brought you to London? Well, it was God who brought me to London, but it was through um, CARE, the organisation CARE, that I've been a trustee of for a long time. And they invited me to come and work for them. I'm a, I'm a teacher, really, by profession. I've taught for many years in Belfast. Um, and so God called me to come to London in that way, yes. And um, so you've been, you've been here for 15 and a half years. What would you say have been the, um, the particular highlights Uh, Perhaps, first of all, the highlights of being in London, and then I'll ask you about the highlights of being at St. Michael's. What are the highlights of coming to the the big, Uh, bad city that is London? Well, there's so many highlights about being in London. It would be impossible to summarise that. I was in London way back in the 70s when I came to London Bible College for two years. I've always loved London, ever since the first time I visited when I was a student. It was such an exciting place. I mean, there's wonderful buildings, there's a whole diversity of people, there's wonderful opportunities for going to the opera or the theatre or whatever. Um, It's it's just an amazing city. It's full of life. Um, Where I lived, it was quite a quiet street, but as soon as you walked out onto the Horse Ferry Road, the whole, the kind of the noise and the buzz of the city was there, and it was just terrific. I loved it. Okay, and the highlights of being part of St. Michael's. How How did you come to St. Michael's rather than, you could have had any number of churches you could have gone to? How did you come here and what would have been the highlights of it? Uh, well, Tricia and I were UCCF staff workers together in the 70s. She was in London, I was in Ireland, uh, but, so I've known her for a long time. And she heard that I was coming to London, so she wrote to me and she said, oh, we're so delighted you're coming to London, please come and have lunch. So, of course, I came to the church, had lunch with them, although I did spend a few months wandering around churches for a bit because it was probably the first time that I had a chance to choose the church I would go to, well, uh, prayerfully. I mean, I was, I stuck with the church I was brought up in, um, in Northern Ireland. So I went to HDB and All Souls and St. James the Less and various other churches I tried around and came and to St. Michael's. But I, I finally really felt I didn't want to wander around anymore. So after a few months, I, I decided this was the place to be. Okay. Um, now, so, sorry, go on. Highlights of St. Michael's? Yeah, go on. Um, gosh, uh, well, I think, first of all, it was a church that I felt God's word was preached and honoured, and that was important to me. Um, secondly, it was a huge privilege to be drawn into the fellowship of the church and to be given opportunities of service from teaching Sunday school through to preaching and and lots of other things in between. It was a very, very great privilege indeed. It's something I will never forget. And um, the third thing is just the family, the family of St. Michael's. Morning service and evening service. Um, That was what I was used to doing, was going to church twice on Sunday. But I found out that people in London didn't do that. So there was one congregation in the morning and a different one in the evening. So, you know, I had all that diversity, the the sort of family and older people in the morning, all of you wonderful young people in the evening. And, you know, it was just terrific to be part of that um, vibrant community and very supportive. They were an amazing family to me. 
Fantastic. Well, I, I promised I'd try and ask you questions that wouldn't make you cry, Margaret, but I can tell we're all feeling a bit emotional about this. But um, as you head back to Ireland, um, what are the things you're particularly looking forward to? And are there anything, is there anything we can particularly pray for you as you go? Well, you could pray that I will find somewhere to live. That's the first thing. <laughs> Still, I haven't quite got that yet. But... Um, well, of course, I'm looking forward to being closer to my family who are here this evening. Fantastic. I didn't know they were going to be here until Welcome. they came through the door. <laughs> and um, and that, that, that will be a lovely thing. I've got a wide family circle over there. Um, you know, I've got many former colleagues and friends in Belfast. So looking forward to re-establishing a life there and uh, finding a church and becoming part of it. And and just to to understanding the differences that there are in Belfast and Northern Ireland since I left 15 and a half years ago. Things have changed. They've moved on. It's a different place and a more peaceful place, thankfully. So, yes, there's lots of exciting things to explore. Um, I haven't seen the new Titanic Centre. There's all sorts of things I haven't seen yet, so looking forward to that as well. Um, yeah. Great. Well, I think it's very apt that your, your last sermon at St. Michael's is from this great letter of Paul to, to Timothy, where the, uh, the senior Christian is effectively passing on the baton to the, the younger generation and saying, I've run with it, now it's over to you. And uh, so I'm just going to pray for, for Margaret uh, as she comes to bring us God's word. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, for bringing Margaret to St. Michael's uh, 15 years ago. Thank you for all that she has been and has done uh, in this church. And thank you for the friend that she is uh, to so many, uh, not just at St. Michael's, but uh, around London. Thank you for the influence she's been and thank you for the shining example of a, of a, a Christian life well lived and um, what a wonderful role model she's been to, to so many of us. We do pray that you'd bless her as she prepares to head back to, to Ireland. Uh, thank you for the opportunity of being back with family and old friends again. Uh, and we pray that you'd help her as she packs up here and as she looks for somewhere to live and somewhere to uh, a church family to be part of. Uh, please help her now as she brings us your word. And we ask that... Uh, it would be the word of God opened up to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. So please help her as she speaks now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank Over you, to Tim. You. Thank you. Well, I think the first thing I would say is I'm not Paul. But I love Paul. And I love, um, I love Paul's um, conviction. I think that's what I love most about Paul, his conviction. Um. Encouragement is something that's really important. It's, it's so important in what can often be troubling and confusing times. And all of us need encouragement at times. Sometimes we might admit it, sometimes we might not. But encouragement is something we all need from time to time. I, I came across a couple of quotes when I was uh, preparing. Correction does much, but encouragement does more. It's often very easy to correct the mistakes of other people, but what's really far more important is to encourage them on the positives. And another one, most of us swimming against the tides of trouble the world knows nothing about 
need only a bit of praise or encouragement and we will make the goal. And um, I do think that that's really important. And having been a teacher, um, you know, there are some young people who might not have a lot of confidence in themselves, um, but you can see something in them that's, that's, that's really good. You can see a talent. You can see something there that God can work on, and, and they need encouragement. And then you see them beginning to blossom, and they begin to fulfill their potential. So I think encouragement is a terribly important thing. The Duke of Wellington was not an easy man to serve under. He was brilliant, demanding, and not one to shower his subordinates with compliments. Yet even Wellington realized that his methods left something to be desired. In old age, he was asked if there was anything that he would do differently if he had his life to live over again. And he thought for a moment and then replied, very interestingly, I'd give more praise. I'd give more praise. I think that's very interesting. Encouragement is all about building confidence, about motivating, about inspiring. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in this epistle. His purpose is to encourage the young Timothy in his ministry and inspire him to confident evangelism. And Paul provides Timothy with a number of what I'm going to call faith anchors as the basis of his encouragement. Now, an anchor is what stabilizes a boat. And if any of you are sailors, you will know that much better than me because I'm not a good sailor. When the seas around are choppy and difficult. I was brought up in a, a fishing town in Kilkeel in County Down in Northern Ireland. And from the back of our house, looking down the fields, we could see the harbor and we could watch the boats coming in and out. And in those days, they weren't all... I'm going back along a good while now. Um, they weren't all deep-sea trawlers, and sometimes they did what you might call inshore fishing. They were fishing closer to the shore. So we'd see them go out, and the seas could be quite choppy and rough, and they'd put their anchor down, and they'd stay there for most of the day. The anchor kept them safe while they caught um, probably herring they were catching at that time. Uh, so anchors were very important in that community. And um, I've also discovered that the anchor was a symbol that was used in the early Christian history. Um, we know that there was a lot of persecution in the Roman Empire, and Christians had to use symbols sometimes to create communication with each other. We're familiar with the symbol of the fish, but they used an anchor as well, and it was a symbol of security and hope. There's an old hymn that um, I've known for many years, that asked the question, will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife, when the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? And the writer of the Hebrews says, we have this hope as an anchor of the soul, firm and secure. Our hope in Christ is the anchor of our soul. Now, Paul's encouragement is not of the sentimental type. It's robust and direct. And he starts off by saying, Endure hardship with us as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What a way to start his encouragement. It's not going to be plain sailing. And then he gives three examples of what might be expected of Timothy. First of all, focus. 
The soldier is focused on the directions of his commanding officer, and he's not to be distracted by civilian affairs. So focus is to be important. Secondly, commitment. The athlete who wants to win the prize must be completely committed to act in strict conformity to the rules, both in training and in performance. And I was just watching um, some athletics and some running on tele yesterday, and um, people were preparing already for the marathon in the next Olympics. And I was impressed by their commitment. They, they knew exactly what the rules were. They knew exactly how they were going to have to train, and they were already doing it. And they were already committed to doing it until, I think I'm, I'm right, 2016 is the next Olympics. Um, so the commitment of the athlete was another example that Paul gave to Timothy. And then persistence. The hard-working farmer, as opposed to the one who's lazy, is the one entitled to reap the rewards of his labours. Again, uh, the community we grew up in was fishing and farming were two of the main things, and I often saw farmers going home late in the evening on their tractors or whatever. Um, and indeed, our church was 12 noon so that the farmers could get their work done with their livestock and so on in the morning before they had to come to church. I think they've moved the time back a bit now because there are more modern uh, things for the farmers to use. But uh, it was hard work, and there was a lot of early mornings and late nights and not much time off, and sometimes very inclement weather, because we get quite a lot of rain in Northern Ireland. Um, but the farmer who persisted was the one who had results from his livestock and his fields. So these illustrations about focus, commitment, persistence, they make it clear that the call to Christian service is a tough call. It wasn't to be taken lightly. And this could have been a rather disconcerting and somewhat discouraging for the young Timothy. But Paul doesn't leave it there. Paul reminds Timothy that it's important to reflect on what he said um, and to remember. So the first faith anchor is to remember that it's the Lord who will give understanding and insight as he develops his ministry. He's not depending just on himself. The implication is that he just needs to listen to God. He doesn't need to be apprehensive. The Lord will provide the insight and the wisdom he needs to make the right judgments. So that's the first faith anchor. Remember that it's the Lord who will give understanding and insight. There are times in life when we ourselves or others that we know are feeling less than confident about something they've been asked to do or a circumstance that arises that is going to demand a level of insight or expertise that's very challenging. And the faith anchor to, is to remember, to remember, to reflect, to pray, to rely on God's wisdom, which is always available when we ask I love that verse in James chapter 1. If any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And it's always struck me very much, that verse. He gives generously when we ask, and he gives it without finding fault. He's not going to say, no, you can't have it because last week or yesterday you didn't do what you should have done. God is so generous 
When we ask him for his wisdom, he gives it. So this anchors us into dependence upon the Holy Spirit to lead and direct, and this is what Paul is implying to Timothy. We're not left alone to navigate the storms of life. In verse 8 of that chapter, in a very few words, Paul, in a masterly way, encapsulates the whole spectrum of salvation history. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. That's another faith anchor. Jesus was the Messiah descended from David, the fulfillment of prophecy. And Jesus raised from the dead is the living word of God. And this is the essential truth of the gospel, entrusted to Paul and to be passed on through Timothy. This is the truth for which Paul is willing to suffer. He is in chains because of his confident sharing of the truth about Jesus Christ. And here we have yet another faith anchor. He says, God's word is not chained. That's something to remember. It's a living, dynamic, active word of truth that can never be chained or fettered. And what an encouragement this must have been to Timothy. And it's so appropriate also for our own times. There are so many places in the world where Christians are forbidden to share their faith or even to gather together in fellowship. Yet the internet and the radio airwaves are able to take the truth across borders that no person can cross and bring the message of the gospel to dark places where no Christian can speak it. So let's be encouraged by this faith anchor. God's word is not chained. I've got friends who have a mission. It's called Christian Vision. And they have a wonderful website called Yes, He Is, which can be accessed anywhere in the world. And it's got wonderful little video clips on biblical topics, on ethical issues, on relationship issues, all kinds of things. And they can link up and... and Uh, because they have networks in in many countries, can provide some follow-up through this uh, internet site. And um, Tracy showed me a map uh, of the world that she had, an interactive map on their computer, where they can see everywhere, at any time, people are accessing their website. Yes, he is. And it was just so amazing because there were all these little dots all literally over the world in small little countries and huge countries where people were accessing that website. And many of those were places that Christians couldn't go to preach. So, you know, God's word is not chained. Hallelujah. And um, in verses 11 to 13, Paul is quoting probably from an ancient hymn or from a collection of short sayings intended to inspire faithfulness and hope. And they aptly sum up another of Paul's faith anchors. Remember God's faithfulness. And someone has already referred to that earlier in the service. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. God is utterly faithful in every circumstance. No human failure can alter God's trustworthiness and faithfulness. No outward circumstance can alter God's trustworthiness and faithfulness. He is utterly 
faithful to his people. And the theme of God's faithfulness is picked up in Psalm 46 that we had read to us, great psalm. The psalm upon which Luther based his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Now this psalm was probably written following Sennacherib's attack on Jerusalem. And the Assyrians had already wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel and were now threatening Judah. But their attack on Jerusalem failed because God was with his people in troubled times. And the psalmist glories in the fact of his presence with his people, his real and unassailable protection. So this faith anchor is remember God's faithful presence is with you. And it's very interesting in the psalm, there's a refrain that's repeated twice. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And um, the threefold refrain is rich with meaning. The Lord Almighty, or perhaps more properly translated, the Lord of hosts, as it is in the authorized version. It's his title of divine power. The God of Jacob is his title of covenant relationship. And the little phrase is with us is, of course, his name, Emmanuel. God is with us. So in that refrain, you've got this sense of the divine power of the Lord Almighty, the loving relationship of the God of Jacob, and the closeness of God is with us, all encapsulated in that refrain. The mighty God of covenant love is ever present with us. He is seriously faithful. Paul then goes on to encourage Timothy to focus on God's word, the word of truth. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. He's advised to avoid worthless and foolish discussions which do more harm than good often driving people away from the truth. Wrong teaching and speculative ideas can be destructive to the church. And in this case, some were denying the resurrection. We have other issues that face us today on the authority of scripture. But the faith anchor here is that God's solid foundation of his word stands firm. It cannot be shaken. Ephesians 2.20 reminds us, The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And the cornerstone was the thing that made the whole building safe. This is an important faith anchor for us in the current climate of concern about decline of the church in the West and also in the face of assaults on the church in many countries around the world where its existence is denied and individual members are subject to cruel persecution. So remember, God's firm foundations for his church can never be shaken. Think about that, Timothy. We need to think about it too, and rejoice in it. Peter, in his epistle, quotes the prophet Isaiah. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And the final faith anchor here in this chapter is the Lord knows those who are his. God knows who has genuine faith and each one is called to live life in keeping with God's truth. 
But we are not called to judge another's faith. It's sufficient that the Lord knows, and we are to fulfill our calling to share the good news of Christ and to live a life that breathes his purity, his truth, his love, his compassion into every context in which we find ourselves, at work, in the home, in the church, and further afield, should that be God's purpose for us. So the faith anchors for Timothy are the same for us. There were seven of them. Remember that it's the Lord who will give understanding and insight. Remember, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is the gospel. Remember, God's word is not chained. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's presence is with you. Remember God's solid foundation stands firm. Remember the Lord knows those who are his. These are the faith anchors that we need to put in place in our minds and hearts for our encouragement, just as they were the basis of Paul's encouragement for Timothy. You will also be able to add other personal faith anchors as you experience God's love and faithfulness in every circumstance of your life. These will be the stabilizers that we need in times of doubt, fear, apprehension, challenge, or difficulty. They will also be the motivators of our gratitude and praise. Um, And I just want to share with you some of my faith anchors, my personal ones. And the first one is Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and the future. And that's a faith anchor that has come to me time and time again over the years as God has moved me on several times unexpectedly sometimes, to do different things in different places. And again, appropriate faith anchor right at this point in time. But it's true, God knows the plans he has for us. Plans to give you hope and a future. The second one is one that I learnt in Sunday school a long time ago. It's been with me all my life. Philippians 4 and verse 13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As a a schoolgirl, as a student, as a young teacher, as a more experienced teacher, in other circumstances, there are always things that arise that you think, can I really do this? And I've always gone back to this verse. It's been a real anchor. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It won't be me but it will be him working through me. And you probably find this hard to believe, but even after all these years of speaking publicly and doing all sorts of things, I still get nervous. And um, this verse has meant so much to me through the years. And the other one that I'm going to mention is probably my most favorite verse in the whole of Scripture. It's John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, 
who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's the one that brings me back to the that's core of the gospel. That brings me back to why I'm a Christian, why I'm doing what I'm doing. It is because of this wonderful mystery that the word became flesh and lived for a while among us. This, this Jesus, whose glory we have seen, the one and only precious Son of God, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And it, it challenges me to live my life in a way that reflects the grace and truth of Christ, very imperfectly, but that's the challenge. As you read your Bible from day to day, and remember to reflect and to listen, you'll be able to make your own collection of faith anchors to add to those we've considered for our encouragement today. That old hymn that I mentioned has a chorus. It says, We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. So may your faith anchors hold you firm and safe. May the Lord richly bless you and the Holy Spirit encourage you as you continue to walk with him through all the future that he has in store for you. And um, I think the band are going to lead us in a wonderful song that talks about standing on every promise God has made.